Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Do you know how to sew? Or maybe you're learning. Over the last two years, Americans picked up sewing when there was a need to make masks at the start of the pandemic. For others, it became a new hobby. Sewing is an important skill, and it can be empowering to be able to make or tailor your own clothes. Online sewing communities have grown to help teach the craft or provide technical help with sewing machines recently purchased or passed down from family members. Today, where we live, we talk with local residents about sewing, and later we learn about the Norwalk Community Quilt Project. Quilters, stitchers, and sewers, we want to hear from you. Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter, at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Laura Kasowitz, who's owner of Hartford Stitch, a sewing school in West Hartford. Laura, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us about when you opened Hartford Stitch and, you know, where the idea came from. Um, Yeah, so I opened Hartford Stitch about six and a half years ago. Um, I had two small children at the time. They were three and almost one. And I was kind of just looking for something else to do uh, outside of my house. I love to sew. And people would often say, oh, I can't sew. I failed home ec. I have two left thumbs. And I thought, (laughs) this this isn't that hard. (laughs) I can teach them. And my goal was to just do like one private lesson a week. Um, But over the past almost seven years, things have snowballed. And we now um, have an in-person sewing school we have had for six years. And we teach between 50 and 70 kids and adults a week uh, how to sew. I chuckled when you mentioned how some people react uh, to sewing, uh, telling you that they failed home ec. I remember when I had home ec, I had to make a windsock, and it did not turn out very well, <laughs> uh, Laura. But I do know how to sew a button on and fix a, a seam that may be ripping. So uh, those are my skills. But that's I'm wondering, good, though. that's you know, that's those are the essential ones, <laughs> right? So uh, tell me more. So obviously, you started this long before the pandemic, and uh, with uh, this uh, surge in people that are interested in learning how to make their own clothes. Uh, tell me more about the people that are coming uh, to you to either learn or become better sewers. Yeah, so um, I so we teach about probably 50% our kids students and 50% our adults. Um, and I like to say that sewing is creative, practical and empowering. And we definitely get people here for all those reasons. Um, Some people are just looking for a new hobby, a new craft, and sewing seems like fun, which it is. Um, Some people uh, are looking for ways to connect maybe with a parent or a grandparent that used to sew and they never learned from them, but now have all of their sewing stuff and sewing machines. And so it's um, something they want to pick up so they have that connection. And then there's people that come in, um, maybe they are pregnant or about to uh, have a small child and they want to learn to make Halloween costumes and not buy them. 
Uh, and then people that are looking to sew their own clothing, whether it's um, they're more petite and they want to hem pants because they're tired of paying somebody to do it, or they have ideas for a fashion line, or they want to learn to upcycle clothing, or they don't like the way clothes that they buy in a store fit them. And so they want to learn how to either make their own or to alter their own clothes. So the reasons just really, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they run a gamut. Uh, we we kind of see everything here. Um, and we're really, we consider ourselves a, a hobbyist school. So it's people at home that are looking to, to practice their craft and learn a new craft. Andrea shared a picture with us on social media of scrappy quilted trivets. And she writes, sewing kept me sane during my pregnancy early on in the pandemic. Does that sound familiar, Laura? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, I definitely had many students and, and uh, students' parents reach out to me early in the pandemic saying that, especially those first you know, two weeks to stay home, that <laughs> they really dove into sewing and it was a great thing to focus their energy and keep their mind off of what else might be going on. Um, you know, it's one of those great crafts that you can come to a school and do it. You can do it with friends, you can do it at home and you can find uh, materials anywhere. So it really, it, it serves a lot of purposes. You also are involved in some community-driven initiatives around the ability to sew or to help people either learn or to acquire uh, sewing machines. I understand you got involved with a refugee resettlement agency recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this was very unexpected. Um, the middle of December, a woman reached out to me and said that she had just picked up a sewing machine um, off of a Buy Nothing Facebook page and wanted to know if I could just take a look at it to see if it worked. And she's a volunteer with IRIS, uh, which is out of New Haven, uh, which is a resettlement agency. And when she came to the studio, we started talking and she mentioned that obviously these families did not come over with sewing machines. Um, and beyond that, the women were uh, having difficulty finding clothes that they were comfortable in that fit their style. They weren't able just to go to our local stores and find what they were used to wearing but they knew how to sew. Um, so if they had a sewing machine and fabric, then they could have that little little extra comfort. And I said, well, if, if you think more people can use them, I, I know I can get you more sewing machines. Um, we had done a sewing machine drive uh, last year, last December uh, for an organization in Hartford and the sewing community is super generous and a lot of people have extra sewing machines around. And so I put out a Facebook post or social media. And I think within 48 hours, I had a few pledged to me. And then some local news outlets picked it up. And within two weeks, I think that between the two of us, we had received close to 400 emails and calls. Um, and when all was said and done, we brought in over 30 sewing machines and material and scissors and buttons and zippers and like every sewing. <laughs> A uh, tool you can think of, um, and I'm still getting calls actually daily, even though at my particular drive has ended. But uh, it was a really wonderful outpouring um, of support, and it was a kind of a crazy couple weeks there. But it was really <laughs> wonderful to be able to to come together and to do that for um, our new neighbors. 
That sounds really great to hear that outpouring uh, for listeners who are interested in, in donating, whether it's a sewing machine or, or to help uh, Iris uh, with these efforts. You can contact Iris in New Haven, and we'll be sure to share a link or tweet it out on our social media. Again, you're hearing Laura Kasowitz here on Where We Live, owner of Hartford Stitch, a sewing school in West Hartford. As we talk about sewing, uh, something that a lot of people have picked up or maybe have uh, restarted after learning many years ago in, in home ec. I know it's now called, uh, I believe, uh, consumer uh, family and consumer sciences. Uh, the yeah. course that that's if they even have some... it anymore, yeah, <laughs> right. And that's an important point. I know we, we talked about that on the show a couple years ago, Laura. That uh, those classes are, are not very common. And so, is that is that something that you're also hearing from families where they want their children to learn, and there's no real place for them to do it, at least in the, in the school setting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the lack of home ec, if you will, in classes is something I, or in schools is something I feel <laughs> is really missing and not necessarily that everyone needs to learn to use the sewing machine, but just like you said, to mend clothing, to sew back on a button. I think those are just essential life skills. And it's, um, it's a shame that that kids aren't necessarily learning it, but uh, we, yeah, we have lots of kids that come here. We also have adults that maybe kind of miss the end of the home ec family consumer science uh, time. And so they're looking to pick up those skills that they didn't get in school. Um, it's, it's, it really is empowering to be able to, to sew, you know, fabric and sewn goods are everywhere. And when you learn the craft, you start to really appreciate it more, um, which I think is really important. You can join us, 888-720-9677. If you're a quilter, a stitcher, a sewer, if you have questions for Laura, again, Laura Kasowitz, who's owner of Hartford Stitch, a sewing school in West Hartford. Uh, Stephanie's calling in with a question. Go ahead, Stephanie. Well, I was just calling because I wanted to comment on another aspect of, of this sewing world that is beneficial, which is that uh, a person like Laura, who my daughter has been sewing with since her studio opened, has taught young people the power of sewing um, to do things like mending their own clothes and taking, you know, some ownership of, of making things for themselves, but also giving back. So the community quilting day that she organizes, um, she's done things where young people work with senior citizens at a senior center to partner up and make projects. She's helped um, in the refugee resettlement process by teaching kids in the community about the importance of providing sewing machines and fabric and other things for um, people who are new to our communities and need, need some help. Or there are many other examples, making masks for healthcare workers at the beginning of the pandemic. And I just think that's an important lesson for young people to know about um, the power that they have in terms of civic engagement and giving back. And um, that's one of the special things about Hartford Stitch in our community. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for sharing that with us here on the show. Hazel and Mystic has a question. Hazel, go ahead. Hi, yes, um, it's great to hear your show. I've seen a huge uptick in enthusiasm for upcycling. Um, I host a meetup for adults, and then I've been teaching upcycling classes to um, kids here. And I was wondering two things. One, if you could, I'd like to hear your definition of upcycling, because for me, it's not only enhancing textiles. I usually stick with textiles, but it's also sort of like an art form for me and a way of um, meditation almost. And then also, I was wondering, do you have any small projects you could um, help me 
think of ideas to teach these kids over, we're doing it over Zoom. I've done some small basic sewing and they loved the hand sewing that I've given them, these projects. And we've been using making sock monsters and things like that. Do you have anything that's maybe a step above that? Thank you. Laura, go ahead. Sure. Um, so I agree with you about upcycling. Um, I mean, to me, upcycling is anything that already exists that you then change to do something else with. Um, so we do get a lot of people in here that want to upcycle clothing, uh, whether that's to put some sort of kind of flare on it or it's um, to completely take it apart and use it for a different type of purpose, whether it's jeans into bags or um combining shirts and jackets. And it does become an art form, um, just like I feel like most sewing is, uh, just because you kind of have to think really creatively about how you're going to to do that. There's not necessarily patterns um, or step-by-step examples of how to upcycle something. So uh, I agree with you totally that it, that it, it's an art form and it's, it's a wonderful way to use sewing. Uh, as for projects, if these actually can be done with hand sewing or sewing machines, we find that really popular ones are scrunchies. Um, scrunchies are really big and they're a pretty straightforward project to make. Those are really fun. Uh, eye masks, like, like sleep masks. I don't actually know if kids really use them, um, but they love to make them. <laughs> so that's a good one. And that is a great one to do upcycling because you can make it with scraps. Um, so we use a lot of our fleece scraps and flannel scraps to make eye masks. Uh, simple little pouches. Um, so kind of sewing two pieces of fabric together and turning it inside out and folding it into thirds and sewing up the sides. Uh, kids love things that they can put stuff in. Um, I mean, don't we all, but <laughs> there's something very cool about that. So snack pouches are uh, definitely a big starter project. And then of course, pillows. Um, kids love to make pillows. Kids would make pillows all day long if they could. So <laughs> I try to kind of find ways to make it a pillow, but maybe something a little bit different, whether they sew on a felt applique to the outside or they make a pillow in a different shape. But pillows are really a great way. Um, I believe a lot in repetition when sewing with kids um, and pillows are a great way to get that repetition and get that practice in, but find new ways to kind of put their own creative stamp on it. Before I, I take another call, uh, Laura, uh, you mentioned uh, using fabrics and being conscious about, you know, uh, not creating waste. I'm wondering if you can give tips uh, for our listeners about you know, that aspect of when you learn to snow, uh, sew rather, uh, you're able uh, to have a, a, a better impact, learning to be more sustainable as well. Yeah. So, you know, at its core, sewing um, creates waste. And unfortunately, because it is a craft that takes a lot of practice um, to get the individual skills, or if you're sewing garments and you're trying to make something to fit you, you may have to make it a few times. Um, it is just going to create uh, waste. It just is. But you can use uh, fabrics around your house that may have otherwise been destined for a donation bin. Donations don't, all, or trash, donations don't always um, end up where we think they're going to end up. So if you have blankets or sheets, I love using old sheets, uh, especially when I'm testing out a new garment pattern. 
um, because otherwise, you know, once you're done with sheets, you don't really <laughs> have too much of a use for them. So that's a great place. I know a local um, sewing artist that makes wonderful coats out of old towels, um, like 1970s towels. So you can definitely find a lot of fabric around your house even, um, or if you ask friends, I'm sure they have it as well, that you can use to create, uh, to sew with. And then uh, as far as sustainability goes, you know, if your focus is on clothing, like I said, it may take a few versions to get it to where you want it to be. But I find that when you make something, whether it's uh, sewn or otherwise, you're more likely to handle it, treat it with care and be more conscious of how you use it and how you take care of it. So it becomes much less disposable than perhaps something that you just buy at a store. Uh, and so in the long run, that does become more, more sustainable. Um, when you become more of a creator and less just of a consumer. Coming up, we're going to be learning and talking uh, to more about quilting. And I'm thinking about, you know, can these scraps be used for, for quilting, perhaps, Laura? Yeah, and scraps can always be used for quilting. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the wonderful thing. So we create a lot of scraps in our studio. Um, Stephanie mentioned our community quilt days a couple of times a year. We have an open studio day, and I do it with my classes throughout the week where we just sew those scraps into beautiful patchwork quilts that get donated local to local organizations. Um, so it's a little bit harder with garment fabric sometimes to kind of use every little scrap, but when it comes to quilting, you definitely can. Caroline's calling in from Winstead. Uh, Caroline, go ahead. We have about a, about a minute to go. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I, I think this is such an important topic. When I was a kid, I, uh, I, my mom taught me how to sew. I made my own clothes. It was fun. It was in the 80s and, uh, and 70s and 80s. I made all sorts of neat clothes. But because I had that skill, um, I ended up designing, uh, when I was pregnant, I had really bad issues and um, pelvic floor issues, I ended up designing a product, which I then marketed and sell because I had that sewing skill. And I continue to develop marketing um, um, medical devices for uh, pelvic issues because of the skills that I had. So, you know, uh, my background was in science and I had design background and the sewing just fit in so perfectly to the whole um, equation. I wouldn't even have my business if I didn't have that sewing skills that my mom and my home ec class taught me <laughs> in, um, in school. So I thank you for this information. And I think I'm a perfect example of how sewing skills end up um, something that you had no idea that you'd ever be doing, but um, just because of circumstances, created my whole end of my whole career. <laughs> well, I love the story. Thank you, Caroline from Winstead, for calling in. Uh, Laura, thank you for your time uh, learning uh, about your business. Again, owner of Hartford Stitch, a sewing school in West Hartford, uh, how uh, sewing can help build a community, and also it's empowering as well. Uh, Laura, thank you for your time today on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we talk to another local resident about sewing and about the reasons why she makes her own clothes. Now, are you a sewer or have you picked up the skill again? You can join us too, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about sewing and how the skill can empower people and help strengthen communities. Are you a sewer, a stitcher, a quilter? Join us at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up later, we learn about the Norwalk Community Quilt Project. First, we've been hearing from local residents who sew or who are learning. Joining us now on Zoom is Tamana Rahman, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She lives in New Haven and she sews her own clothes. Tamana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lucy. So uh, tell us when you started or maybe picked up sewing again and, and some of the reasons why you decided you wanted to be able to sew your own clothes. Sure. So, I mean, a lot of what Laura said really resonated with me. Um, I started learning to sew about four years ago, and it was because of the reason um, a lot of women have. Clothes in stores are don't really fit us. Um, as a very small South Asian woman, um, finding clothes that fit me has always been a nightmare. So that was definitely a driving concern for me. Um, learning to make my clothes has been incredibly empowering, as Laura mentioned, um, for multiple reasons. Um, a big kind of factor for me, even before I started learning to sew, was finding a way to kind of opt out of fast fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, my family's from Bangladesh. And if there's one thing, you know, I think a lot of people know about Bangladesh, it's that it's one of the biggest garment producers in the world. And I think a thing a lot of people may also remember is when um, the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in 2013. Um, when over 1,100 garment workers were killed in a matter of minutes. Um, And I think that really brought home for me the cost of what it means to go to Target or the mall and buy a cheap piece of clothing. Um, You know, you mentioned in in my intro that I'm a nurse, but before this, I was a union organizer. And for me, doing that work was really rooted in the basic idea that all people should have work that has dignity and meaning. But I mean, I think even at a more fundamental level than that, um, I just don't think that anyone should have to die in their workplace so that we can buy like cheap disposable garments. So being able to sew my own things has been just such a powerful way to not have to participate in that cycle. 
I'm glad you mentioned uh, some of the the personal reasons uh, to Mana when we think about even the consequences of fast fashion, as you mentioned, unsafe garment factories, even river pollution, and and ways that you can uh, work to not participate in the fast fashion industry. So tell me about uh, the clothes that you make, and uh, a little bit more about um, you know when you're sewing, where do you find community? Are there others uh, that you found uh, where you live uh, that, um, you know, help you or, you know, that you feel that you're, you're part of? Yeah. I mean, so I think that's the thing that's been really fun and exciting about this process is that um, as I've been kind of on this journey and I'm very much an amateur sewist still, so I'm, learning but i do pretty much make all of my own clothes now um posting things on facebook social media i've just had so many friends kind of surface who i realize are also taking part in these creative practices um so i've found a lot more of the community um online rather than um in person i think it's been a little bit harder for me locally to find um other makers, other women of color, other people who are kind of interested in the same types of things that that I am. But I found such a vibrant kind of online community of people who um, are thinking about su- sustainability and slow fashion and um, bringing different textile and embroidery traditions from all over the world to their practice. So it's been just an incredibly creative and fun space. I've seen uh, some of the um, images of, of clothes that you made online, Tamana, and you know how to do decorative top stitching, pipe seams, pleated sleeves, gathered bodices. <laughs> uh, it's really impressive. And this is something that you, um, you, know, you were learning over the last four years. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's just been a matter of like, you know, every new thing I sew, I make a lot of mistakes and, you know, I learn a new skill and it's just like kind of building on each one as I go. So yeah, I think right now I've kind of gotten confident enough to be able to pick up like any pattern or anything I want to make, um, kind of draft it myself and figure out how to, how to put it together, which is just such a fun process. Uh, Leif called in from Reading just to share that uh, Leif learned to sew in home ec class as a kid and has been sewing ever since. It's a great way to not send clothes to a landfill. Uh, How has your family responded uh, to your sewing, Tamana? Yeah, I mean, my, um, my fa- I, I was kind of laughing when uh, Laura was talking about, you know, kind of using things from around your house and old bed sheets and whatever, because I do... Um, use anything and everything I can get my hands on. And I I remember one time I actually like saved up and bought this like, you know, expensive Japanese fabric. And I was really like proud to show my mom the shirt that I made with it. And I went over there and she was, and she was like, oh, that's beautiful. Was that a tablecloth? Is that one of your tablecloth shirts? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) no mom, this one, this one is not actually a tablecloth, but um, yeah, I mean, my family is super supportive and They love seeing kind of the transformations that I make with whatever I find lying around. Now, I understand you know how to make lace or you once did, Tamana? I do not know how to make lace. I definitely can't claim that I know how. Um, But um, yeah, so I, I, you know, as a mental health care provider, that's what I do professionally. Um, 
my specialty has been in working with people with trauma. So I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about how our histories, our memories, our experiences are literally encoded in our bodies. And that's been very true for me as I've been sewing. Um, as I've like started working with textiles, all these memories from 25 years ago of sewing with my grandmother have been surfacing. Um, so I'm like remembering that she taught me how to knit and how to make lace and how to crochet. And, um, you know, she died a few years ago and because she lives lived in Bangladesh, um, I think that death never really hit home for me. It was um, something that I never really grieved. And it's really been kind of in my sewing practice that these memories are like surfacing and sort of the fact of her absence has been a little bit more um, present for me. Um, but also it's just kind of given me a way to realize the ways that she is still present in the kind of craft that I'm doing now. And also in the ways that she will continue to be present as I pass on these skills to my own daughter. So mm -hmm. that's just been a really kind of powerful part of the journey for me. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're hearing Tamana Rahman here on Where We Live, a psychiatric nurse practitioner living in New Haven who sews her own clothes. Uh, some of you listening right now may have learned or taken up sewing during the pandemic, especially when the CDC first began recommending mask wearing in 2020. Uh, my next guest co-authored a study on the home sewers movement during this time. Dr. Addie Martindale is assistant professor of fashion merchandising and apparel design at Georgia Southern University. University. Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. It's great to be here. So I understand you you study a broad range of women and, and their sewing habits for clothing. And so tell us about what made you work on this study with uh, your, your peers. So me and my co-workers, Dr. Charity Armstead at Now University and Dr. Ellen McKinney at Iowa State University, um, have been studying home sewers for several years. We have all you know, studied apparel design and either teach apparel design now or passive taught apparel design and sewing. And we've been engaged in the home sewing community. And at the onset of the pandemic, we really saw something interesting happening. Um, our Instagram feeds were changing the home sewers we were following and engaging with. We're starting to sew masks and, um, you know, we really wanted to tell the story of what was going on. And so uh, you found in the study that this was a means of control uh, for uh, some who wanted to help in, in some way, and they were able to do this uh, by making masks. Right. So what we did is we looked at the Instagram post and we did a qualitative study because we really wanted to, um, this research to tell the actual story of the participants. And what we found was overall sewing masks gave people a sense of control in a time when they had no control. And within this, we found five sub themes. And I just wanted to talk about three because I think they're most relevant to today a little bit. And one was rising to the occasion. It was really empowering to see these posts where women, typically it was women, sometimes men, were posting about the sense of accomplishment they were feeling sewing the mask and how many masks they sewed and they were proud of so how many hours they sewed and then you saw these posts that were like I'm ready for this that's the theme we put to it and you know it gave 
sewers were so confident in having the skills and the supplies that they needed to take this on. And it served as really a justification for all the time they had spent in the past sewing and the skills that they developed. And it justified them having their fabric stashes and their stashes of notions and the large collection of um, sewing related items. But for me, the most impactful theme was the one of this is helping me cope. So mm-hmm. the sense of control that mask made making gave them provided the sewers um a way to cope with their unsettling situation it um they talked about how it helped them control their emotions it provided this calming practice they could get in flow and forget about what was going on in the outside world and it was a way to use nervous energy and avoid media consumption but Mm -hmm. what was really one important thing to note was like in our previous studies, we found that this participation in social media specifically provided a sense of community, community, kind of like Tamana was talking about. So they could come together, even though they couldn't come together in person and support each other and build a community um, in order to solve a problem. This is really interesting uh, to hear. Again, Dr. Addie Martindale is assistant professor at Georgia Southern University. Uh, The study that uh, she co-authored on the home sewers movement, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, we have a link on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Thank you so much for your time and talking about, um, you know, the findings from the study. Thank you so much. And thank you for talking about this um, sewing, because I believe it's so empowering and so important. Tamana Rahman was also here, a psychiatric nurse practitioner living in New Haven who sews her own clothes. Tamana, thank you. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we're going to talk about quilting with the woman who founded the Norwalk Community Quilt Project. We heard from Rosemary in Niantic who wrote in that despite what sounds like high-stakes creative competition in her family, Quilting has become a calming, welcoming space for her. She shared, learning to sew taught me that regardless of my ADD short attention span, regardless of my lack of perfection, I can practice and learn a skill I thought I could never even begin to try. And honestly, self-awareness has translated in countless other ways. I have a strong belief there's pretty much nothing I can't learn how to do. Don't get me wrong, I'm one of them. I always knew I was smart and had talents, but I would have never dared to do anything that was out of my perfection comfort zone. Learning to quilt gave me that. Stay tuned. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Today we've been talking about sewing. Uh, Natalie called in earlier from Waterbury, the assistant curator of the Mattituck Museum there, and they actually have an exhibition right now on historic needlework. It's called Focus on the Makers, Samplers, Needlework, and Quilts. That's on display February 28th. We'll be sure to tweet out a link at where we live. Now, my next guest spent many years teaching art in after-school programs, but one day 
Day decided she wanted to teach quilting to young people. It's an art form she learned with her family. Her idea turned into the Norwalk Community Quilt Project and was the inspiration for an eventual children's book. Joining us now on Zoom is Lizzie Rockwell, children's book illustrator and author and founder of Peace by Peace. That's the Norwalk Community Quilt Project. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really fascinated by the guests you've had so far. It's been great I'm learning to a hear. lot. <laughs> it's been great to hear uh, some of our listeners calling in as well. You, your book, uh, The All Together Quilt, won the Connecticut Book Award Picture Book category in 2021. So congratulations. Thank you so much. So, yes, uh, I was really thrilled with that. So tell us a little bit more about how you started Piece by Piece. Well, like you said, I had been teaching um, as a resident artist. I've been teaching in after-school programs in Norwalk, Connecticut, where we lived at the time. And uh, I would go into programs that existed um, that were run by the Housing Authority or the George Washington Carver Center um, and various settings. And I would come in once a week and and teach art. And um, I was working with a primarily underserved community of kids. And a lot of kids did have stresses of, um, you know, gun violence or uh, an incarcerated parent or other issues that that were exhausting. And um, most kids had, you know, normal uh, home lives and, and um, but they found art to be very, very soothing, whatever their background was. And it engendered conversations that were quite revealing. And I noticed that when kids sort of had their eyes down and their hands busy, they were more likely to really open up and talk. And um, it reminded me of my afternoons after school working at a quilt frame with my sister in the living room and just how relaxing that was. So I thought maybe I could create a program um, that worked with both kids and adults, um, perhaps set in a public housing um, community room. And I proposed it to a local foundation and they decided to sponsor me to do this project. We have a picture on our website, I believe, of, of one of, of the quilts that the community helped make uh, through this uh, project. Again, that's at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Uh, one of the Norwalk residents involved in your community quilt project is Viola Sears, who's on the phone with us now. Viola, thank you for calling in. Thank you. So how long have you been quilting? And when you heard about this project, uh, you know, were you pretty excited to get involved? Yes, and as I said before, Liz can tell you more about the date. I'm too young to remember uh, <laughs> the date that I joined. Because, you know, after you get over 29 years old, you know, it's kind of hard to remember. <laughs> but nevertheless, that uh, I enjoy working with it. And from day one, I enjoyed it. But I got in it because my daughter was there, and I was having trouble with my hands. I couldn't have used them. So I went over to see what she was doing, and that's when I met Liz and all the gang, and they were beautiful people, and I fell in love with them at first sight. And 
I didn't want to leave them, and I still haven't left them. <laughs> so it's an intergenerational uh, community project. Tell me about the children that you've been able to work with, Viola. Well, those children, Liz gave them to us to teach. That was a joke. Those children are teaching us mm. the things that they can do. I could never even dream of it. Mm. I mean, they got all kind of different little design. Take a piece of material, write on it, make anything you wouldn't even dream of, and pass it around and give it to different ones. Mm. Now, I have a piece that the littlest one gave me for Thanksgiving. She taken and wrote my name on it, drew a picture, put my name on it. Now, I'm waiting to get a quilt so I can put it in it. Mm-hmm. And I could never do it because I never could draw nothing, even going to school. I never learned how to do that. Mm-hmm. But oh, this but- little kid, I don't know how old she is. She looked like she would be about eight or nine years old. But she is dynamic. It's lovely to see when children uh, have confidence and uh, they're happy and when people encourage them to be creative. Lizzie, can you talk more about that relationship? Uh, the children and uh, residents like Viola are, are, um, are learning. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that Viola started with us probably in 2009. Um, and she's just a amazing mentor and community volunteer and uh, friend to all of us. So happy you're here with me, Viola. Um, This little child, Nicole, uh, is eight, and she is so grateful um, to be there, and she makes drawings for everybody. Um, And these are drawings with acrylic paint fabric markers that you can draw on a piece of cotton and then heat set it with an iron and then it's washable. It's like a silkscreen t-shirt. It's um, your drawing is indestructible. So we work a lot of drawings into our um, community quilts and it's just a a really beautiful way for uh, um, to get multiple voices into a work of art, you know, individual voices into a work of art that's communal and in the end sings in one harmony. Um, so it's it's just amazing to bring these uh, folks of all ages um, together and see what happens. And the quilt frame is also a great catalyst for conversation. Uh, quilt frame is set up to look a little bit like a dining table, um, you know, where you pull chairs up on either side, it's a long, wide rectangle. And so it's just a natural place to sit and chat. And like I was saying, um, when your eyes are down and your hands are busy, you tend to feel more relaxed um, having a conversation. Mm. Viola, did you want to add to that, the conversations that you're having in these uh, these, uh, circles as you're quilting together? She filled it all in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anything I put in there, we just adding on to what she said. Yeah. Viola is, I will reveal, 93 years old, and she's had an amazing life. And as you can tell, she's uh, a rich storyteller, um, and we love, we love to hear her tales of her long and amazing and loving life. 
Lizzie just described you as a storyteller, Viola. We know that quilts can also tell stories. Can you talk uh, more about some of the quilts that you've helped make? Well, I made all kind. And the last, no, I won't say the last one, because the last one I made, she hasn't even seen it. But next to the last one I made, I surprised her grandson with it. <laughs> he came over and I, to visit for the first time. And I think he liked the colors, the way he looked at it. So I asked him, did he want it? He put his hand on it. He didn't say anything. And so I said, it's yours. So I gave it to him. So I have another surprise Uh-oh. for him today. <laughs> Grandma don't know anything about it. So I have another surprise for him. Oh, Viola. And Lizzie, tell us about some of the quilts uh, again. Describe them for us since we're you know, on the radio. Uh, you mentioned as, you know, using some of the children are, are drawing uh, on these particular pieces. But can you describe some of the ones that have been created for us? Uh, yes, I will. And I also want to say that um, many of our quilts are going to be on display at the Norwalk Art Space, um, which is on uh, 455 Main Street in um, Main Street, no, West Avenue, sorry, <laughs> in Norwalk, Connecticut. And there's going to be a show there of quilts and illustrations, and um, people will be able to see some of these gorgeous works of art that we are borrowing back. Um, from public institutions like Stepping Stones Museum, Norwalk Public Library, the Adam J. Lewis Academy. Um, But I will create a design for one of the art quilts that's going to be installed in a public place. And I approach it as an illustrator, as a graphic designer, using typography and imagery that's symbolic. And then I find ways that um, there will be many voices highlighted in the patchwork, um, and often this is done by drawing on fabric. Uh, so that's a really nice way to get all these different points of view. The Love Quilt, um, which we are borrowing from the Norwalk Public Library, has the word love written over and over again, I think five times in a white and red um, pattern. And on each patch that makes up the letters, um, there is a drawing done by somebody. And my prompt uh, when I ran the drawing workshops was, show me what you love. So we got a lot of really amazing answers to that question. Um, And then we just finished a quilt for the Adam J. Lewis Academy in Bridgeport that is the Hope Quilt. And this one has a whole bunch of beautiful drawings by children at the school and my piece by piece community um, about what do you hope for? And we did this during the pandemic, so it became quite um, quite meaningful and symbolic and, and poignant. Jolene's calling in. Uh, Jolene, what did you want to share? We've got a, uh, just a few minutes left. I taught children um, for several years. I taught sewing at our local elementary school. And one of the things I'm not sure that we touched on today is the mathematical part of sewing. Mm. Um, you know, just the simple, I have to have six inch squares. I have this piece of fabric. I need to measure it. And how many squares can I get out of that? That was one of the concepts that the kids that I taught 
were amazed. And it was good and a little sad in some parts. Um, I taught kids through uh, third grade through fifth grade, and I would have thought my fifth graders would have grasped the concept, but they would look at me like I was some sort of completely, you know, smartest person in the world. Um, (laughs) The other thing is perseverance, true perseverance. Kids still at that age, their um, hand dexterity still, their hand strength isn't quite there yet. So having to cut with scissors and to be able to go around that pattern and make it turn out. So whenever I did that um, with the kids and they had to cut their own, I always had to make three for each child because I was determined that they could cut that out themselves and be able to make it look like whatever the pattern was, if we were making a small animal or even a pillow. Um, So that part of sewing has always fascinated me, and it's what led me then to want to uh, offer these classes to kids. It was an after-school program, and Mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. The kids learned so much. I had kids three years in a row, and they just, they grew so much. Well, you brought up some great points, Jolene, about uh, problem solving and perseverance. Uh, Lizzie, did you want to add? Yeah, the, thank you so much, Jolene, for, for mentioning this. I, I could talk to you all for a few hours about this program and the many benefits. But um, one of the reasons I, I knew it would make a great picture book for elementary school age kids is because I could put in all these extension um concepts about math and geometry and community building and um, civic volunteering. And then in the back matter, I have stuff about the origins of the various fabrics um, in the quilt. There's Indian block print, there's Indonesian batik, there's, um, you know, African wax, um, wax relief prints. So, there's so many extensions, uh, skill-wise and intellectually, that it's it's emotionally benefiting and it's intellectually benefiting and it's um, you know builds community. So what is not to love about community mm-hmm. quilting? It's just been one of the richest parts of of my life. Well, thank you, Lizzie Rockwell, for joining us again, the founder of Piece by Piece, the Norwalk Community Quilt Project. She wrote a book about the project called The All Together Quilt. It was a Connecticut Book Award winner. Lizzie, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for including me in this great conversation. And Viola Sears called in, a Norwalk resident, a member of this Community Quilt Project. Viola, it was great to hear from you. Thank you as well. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We hope you have a great weekend.